Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. First Peter. I hurried up this morning and uh, left somebody hanging without finding it. And I waited long. Everybody found it this evening. I didn't intend to do that, but I found out that I did. First Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered, and there, of course, is the reason for this particular verse that I want to use this evening. Verse 8, finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing, but contrawise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew, that means despise, let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and uh, ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous his ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Now, as I mentioned, the Lord, through Peter, is speaking in the earlier portions of this chapter about husbands and wives and their relationship. But it is interesting to notice in verse 7, that a tremendous responsibility is placed upon the husbands to have and conduct a proper relationship with the wife, and his failure to do so achieves an interruption or a hindrance in his capability to reach God in prayer. And that's the point that I want to make out of that verse 7, and uh, it took that background explanation to, to point that out. That there even is in a, an improper family relationship when husbands and wives are not on good terms with each other, and particularly the responsibility being upon the husband, that this improper relationship can interfere with getting through the God. It hinders prayer, and that's what we're talking about tonight, hoping that we can come out with a concept of what is it that keeps our prayers from being hindered. And there are other things that we will notice throughout this particular passage of Scripture that actually hinders us in our prayer life. If uh, we were back in the book of Proverbs, chapter 10, verse 24, we would find these words, the fear of the wicked, it shall come upon him, but the desire of the righteous shall be granted. If I could uh, interpret that verse 
we take it out of the old English and put it in modern day times, it would say something like this, the wicked ought to fear their wickedness, but the righteous shall be granted God's mercy. In, in Psalm 66, verse 18, we have these words. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. A very definite uh, uh, commentation, or a command, I should say, or a connotation, that if we have in our hearts iniquity, that is sin, if it's in our hearts, the Lord tunes us out. In John chapter 13, verse 7, Jesus said, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. But the, the question that John raises with the word if, places us in a position of tremendous responsibility if we're going to have God hear us, we're going to need to abide in Christ. And if our lives are contrary to the life of Christ, he again is going to tune us out. And so it is certainly possible that prayers can go unheard in that we are not in a proper posture for God to actually even hear our prayers. And so our prayer life is hindered by those things in our life that are contrary to what they ought to be. So number one that we can see in this passage of scripture there in verse 7, applying to a proper family relationship between husbands and wives, most particularly, that if this is not right, our prayer life will be hindered. That's point number one that he makes. He makes another point, I think, well, in verse 8. When he turns now from talking to husbands and wives and turns to the church in general, to Christian people as a whole, and says to all of Christian people, to us, to everybody, that we be of one mind. And the inference certainly is there that when we are of different attitudes and different minds and going different directions, we have thrown up a roadblock to, uh, to our prayer life. Again, something is going to interfere and inhibit our capability of prayer if we're not of one mind. He goes on to say another thing in verse 8 about having compassion. Here is something that deals with attitude. Oftentimes, we find ourselves treating each other very harshly, very critically, or with indifference. We seem not to be able to tune in to each other's needs and concerns, failures, uh, attitudes, and find ourselves falling short and sometimes not having compassion on each other 
simply because we do not know the circumstances of the other individual. And all of you have felt those barbs uh, dig from uh, perhaps husbands who say things to wives, or wives to husbands, to children, to mothers and dads, or vice versa, from friend to friend, when because we have not tuned in well enough to understand from where, from uh, the position that this person has, we are harsh, or not understanding, or are critical, or indifferent. How many times have my kids said to me, but Dad, you don't understand. And if I pause long enough to listen to that statement, and I can remember a few of those, I would have to admit that I have taken an indifferent attitude, my ears have become deaf to the plea of my child. And truly, uh, I did not understand, and therefore treated him or her more harshly than they deserved. I was critical when perhaps I should not have been. This is always true in our lives that if we knew the full circumstances about which we were talking, we would be less critical in our criticism of somebody else. As an old Indian uh, proverb goes, something about walking in another person's shoes or moccasins when it came to Indian, that uh, we will not be so critical once we have been where they are. I think you'll find this 100% true. When we find ourselves in the position that other people are in, we cease our criticism because now we want the compassion, we want the concern, we want uh, the loss of criticism and the harshness that seems to be shoveled upon us. And so he pleads with his people to have compassion one upon another without all of his criticism. And the next statement I think is so interesting to me when he says, love as brethren, which makes an assumption, but is right of course, that brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ automatically love each other. And we ought to love each other in spite of our differences or our weaknesses or our sins or whatever might stand in the way. Brotherhood in Jesus Christ is automatically synonymous with love. Then he goes on to a next phrase and he says, be pitiful. And that we simply put in our terms is have pity upon those that are not as they ought to be. And then he concludes that verse by saying, be courteous. There is, I think, no excuse on anyone's part who is a Christian to ever be discourteous to another individual of the faith. These things, Peter says, will interfere with your prayer life. Sometimes we wonder why God doesn't hear us or seemingly he doesn't hear us, and I think probably it's because he simply has tuned us out, because what is coming out of our mouth 
does not reflect what is in our heart. And unless they jive, unless they match, can we ask him to listen and honestly expect that he will? I think we could interpret verse 8 to be speaking to arrogance and pride, such as the publican's prayer, as opposed to the Pharisees when the two men stood in church and one prayed with pride that he was so glad that he wasn't like others and the publican simply asked for the forgiveness of his sin. If God can forgive a person's sin, who are you and I to refuse the same offer? That's what the scripture would certainly advocate through and through. But, in verse 9, we find that he has to admonish the church, Christian people, to not render evil for evil. Do not rail for railing. Do not do all these things, but he said, but contrawise. In other words, the very opposite. Do not rail, do not criticize unduly, do not give evil for evil, but counter that with rendering blessings. Heap up on others one's best side, one's good things, and we will discover that we have disarmed the enemy who is expecting us to rebuke. Jesus in the model prayer said for us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And the problem comes that in our prayer life, we cannot honestly ask God for our sins to be forgiven when we ourselves stand in judgment of our brethren and say, I will not forgive you. God is going to say, neither will I forgive you. In the book of Job, I'm going to be preaching a series of sermons, I think, uh, later on from this book. I've begun to get things in line. Yeah, as you know, I prepare my sermons, try to, uh, considerably ahead of time. This particular sermon was prepared about six weeks ago. Job's friends came to him and criticized him severely and said, You are covered with all these boils as a punishment from God because you have sinned. And Job said over and over and over throughout the book that I cannot find anything that I've done to justify bringing this upon me. And he makes this response to Eliphaz, one of his supposed friends. I think these three men came to him, thought that they were his friends, but they again would not look beyond their own preconceived ideas about what sin is and accused Job of being sinful when they had not explored the life of Job and knew nothing about whether he was sinful, but automatically made an assumption. If God punishes you, or if you fall into some kind of disease or distress or loss, it's because of sin. And Job comes back with this statement that I think is, is a tremendous statement 
of compassion. He says, to him that is afflicted, pity should be shown from his friends. One of the more beautiful verses, I believe, in all the scripture that depicts the attitude of God, to him that is afflicted, pity ought to be shown from his friends. A young boy was punished by his dad for something that he had done. He got a weapon for it. That night, as the young boy bowed beside his bed and offered his prayers, his dad by his side, at his side, when the prayer was over, the boy turned to his dad and said, Dad, I suppose you noticed that your name wasn't mentioned. I think we do that to each other. By leaving out on purpose the invoking of God's blessing upon others. And surely this would be contrary to what the scripture would teach. Such an attitude is surely unacceptable. To refuse to forgive blocks our prayer life makes it difficult, if not impossible, for God to get through to us and grant us the petitions of our prayer. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. And I will stand before you tonight and confess, I want my sins forgiven. Do you? And I tell you, there's a condition that is placed upon it, and that is we render to our brethren the same attitude that we want God to give to us. That is, as we have been sought for forgiveness, we shall forgive in order that we can properly, on our prayers, forgive, uh, ask God's forgiveness. And it will include in our prayers the names of those that sometimes we don't particularly agree with or like, our enemies or those that have abused us from time to time. So the bottom line, so I'll cut short because I know it's a little warm in here this evening, those with the question, are you on praying ground? By that I do not mean are you located physically in such a manner that you can pray? Do not believe the scripture teaches you've got to be on your knees or with your head bowed or any other particular physical posture, but the scripture does teach us that we must be in an attitude that will make it possible for us to pray. If we mean by praying, we say and God hears and God responds. I think that's what most of us mean. Otherwise, our words simply go unheeded and may hang around somewhere but never be recognized at the throne of God. The Revised Standard Version translates verse 11 a little differently than the King James. Verse 11 says, Let him despise evil and do good. That is, the person who wants to reach God in prayer 
Let him despise evil and let him do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. Let me conclude with the Revised Standard Translation of that verse, which says, Turn away from evil and do right, lest our prayers be hindered. Turn away from evil and do right, lest our prayers be hindered. We each will have to deal with that issue ourselves as to whether or not we actually are reaching the throne of God or whether or not our prayers are hindered in getting there because of something in our life, all the way from husband and wife relationships to friends to church relationships to even the relationship with our enemies, wherever they might be. We must be in the proper attitude with others before God. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.